Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. They could get into that property for $8,000 using the first-time buyer's grant and stamp duty exemption um, and end up in the property for living there for about $100 a week um, whilst they rent out other parts of the property, which they can do as their first home. It doesn't say that you can't do that. And after living in for six months to a year, they can then move out and turn that into a positive cash flow property of about $300 to $400 as their first home. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Taran Shum and in this episode on Property Investory, we're keeping the conversation going with consultant and a real estate advisor in Igate. He'll unpack the strategy he uses to develop his own extensive portfolio, explain how small is the new bigs program, high res can double your property income and how you can get into the property market with only $8,000. Also, before we delve into this episode, go over to propertyinvestory.com and subscribe to receive your free property investor case studies where you'll learn how to generate passive income from your properties. Go there now to sign up for free. So, what was it that held Igate back from investing in property initially? I think the major problem with people that want to invest in property is that they see, they go out and they see someone become successful and they idolize them. So, let's, you know, you, you look at the, you have to look at the, um, you know, the Packers of the world and the, and the Trumps of the world, to use Trump, but Branson's, I mean, Trump is a, a very successful property investor. Um, Branson, um, when you look at Australia, you know, you've got, you've got Garner and you've got um, Chris Gray and you've got all these other investors and people go, I just want to be exactly like them. I'm going to go out and I'm going to do what Ian did, not do any education whatsoever and I'm just going to buy property because I know I'm going to be rich at one, at one point in time. I absolutely agree that you will be rich if you bought property today, even if it was the worst deal you could possibly buy, as long as you could afford to hold it. Um, because in 10 years' time, we know that on average, it's going to double, and 10 years from that, it's going to double again. Now, my main thing, my main mindset change was, there was two things. Firstly, I needed education. Because whilst we were out there buying negative year property because the, the government, you know, for whatever reason promotes that it's a good thing to do, um, we were never going right. All we were doing was just following the herd. Um, and, you know, it's that classic case of, you know, there's all that saying that if you do follow the herd, eventually what happens is you'll just end up stepping in their poo. So um, that's negative gearing from, from as far as I'm concerned. Um, and the second part of that was that I, for the first time after hearing those two, you know, monumental times in my life around being told I'm overweight and also having a boss change that I'd actually never set a goal. I'd never ever written a goal down on paper to actually clarify what it really was. 
Previous to that, it was, yeah, I'm going to be a millionaire or um, I'm going to be rich or I'm going to be, um, I'm going to own a Porsche or I'm going to own whatever. There was never anything ever written down that had any meaning to it and no why. There was never a why in anything that I ever thought about. He found his why and overcame this obstacle when he set concrete goals for himself. Interestingly enough, most people that want to invest in property want to do it so they can become rich. And um, having read a, a number of different books that, that we read, um, I, I picked out a quote recently that said, rich people have a lot of money and wealthy people have time to spend it. So, so for me, I, I latched onto that and said, well, okay, well, I want to be wealthy. I want to be in a position where I have the point to be able to get up in the morning and choose what, what I want to do, and which is help other people. Um, and so for me, once I sat down and set our goals, Christina and I both set our goals in all areas of our life. So we did in our wealth, health, our opportunity. So opportunity is um, you know, what, what can come up for you, our love um, and our relationship and the evolution of who we want to be. And so we set those goals in those five areas and they were detailed um, and then we broke those tasks down. We then put them onto, so I, I write things, Christine loves to put things on spreadsheets, we put it onto a PowerPoint and then we put it onto a screensaver on our computer. So whenever we're sitting, we don't have a TV at home, so whenever we're sitting, um, our computer in the background is actually rolling through a screensaver, we can actually see what our goals are flashing between our eyes and our unconscious mind is picking those up constantly, being able to put that through our filters and manage to put it in the back of the brain so that when you are driving, and, and I always say that, you know, you know what it's like when you go out and you buy a new car and it's, a, it's, the, it's the yellow, it's the new yellow sports car. No one's got a new yellow sports car. You go into the dealership, you pick up the yellow sports car, you drive out the door and all of a sudden you see 10 of the same sports car and it's because you're now aware that they're there. So when you write your goals down, when the opportunity comes up, all of a sudden you're aware that it's there and, you, and your brain just automatically goes, I need that. Um, and you don't even know you're, it's, you, you, it's, you're unconsciously achieving because you've consciously written something down. Considering mentors and resources that he sought to aid him in his journey, Yagate chose to join a property community in 2008. So, you know, we, we were in there doing what we needed to do, learn what we had to learn. Um, our first project um, that we went in to do actually lost us money. But by losing us money, it taught us so much. And, and there, was a, there, was a, there was a few components to losing money in this one. Firstly, it was that I still wasn't detailed enough and um, to do a proper full due diligence feasibility. So I sort of guessed numbers. Um, and and that, wasn't, that wasn't because of the education. It's because I, I lacked the education. I didn't take the time to learn it. And um, so from that loss, though, I probably picked one of the hardest um, no, the second hardest. So um, another, another great interesting story because this was really the leapfrog step that happened for us. Got went into this project. Um, we had a nine-month settlement on it. Uh, the GFC kicked in and all of a sudden the lending tightened up. So the lending tightened up in our nine-month settlement. So trying to get finance for that, for that project was really difficult. And I remember with my dad sitting at the RSL, Botany RSL, 
and on the back of a serviette, I did the feasibility, right? So um, I, I said that I was going to spend $120,000 on the subdivision. Now, it, as it turns out, the local inspector that inspected all the subdivisions towards the end of the project, um, and I'll tell this story in a second, he said to me, that's probably the second hardest subdivision I've seen on the coast. It was up on the central coast of New South Wales. And um, so I happened to pick a really, really difficult subdivision as a first subdivision. I shouldn't have done that. Um, but it taught me everything that I know now. And it meant that I could go off and do amazing things. So I call it my property hex fee. Um, you know, rather than going to university and end up with a 70 grand job, I actually, you know, I paid for losing on that project. But what it did for me in the future was earn me two hundred, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars on the next projects that we did. With this newfound form of education, he learned a valuable lesson. But that project was was quite interesting because I was still in paid employment. And um, we just had everything up against us. Everything worked in the wrong way, um, and plus the fact that we were inexperienced. And um, I'm sitting on the side. It was a 110-metre long driveway. We had 16 neighbours around us. It was 25% grade one direction, 25% grade the other direction. So it was quite a, a slopey block. Um, we had to dig six metres down to do a sewer connection. Uh, we had to bring a hydrant main in from the street um, to get to the back block. It was a full-on subdivision. Like it, I learnt so much. And um, the, the, the budget of $120,000 got spent just on the retaining walls on the site, not, alone, not let alone the concrete, the excavation and everything with it. So I'm sitting on the side of this um, driveway one day, rain, clay, everything, and the, this inspector had turned up, and um, he and 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 I was in tears. I was literally in tears. I was so down about it all. And he had a piece of paper in his hand, um, and he was walking up the driveway. And he saw me, and he obviously saw that I wasn't in a good state. And he and I look back at it now, and I know he folded the piece of paper and he put it in his back pocket. And he says, what's going on, mate? And I said, I mean, this thing is absolutely killing me. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know what, you know, it's just really draining me. And for whatever reason, you know, sometimes in life, people just come along and this inspector is, is, wasn't known to be the nicest guy in the world. He, he absolutely poured his heart out. He looked at me and he said, you know what, mate? He said, I see guys like you come along all the time. You're young, you want to go, you want to have a go at it. You do your first project, you lose money. Most of you disappear. Some of you hang around and you do the second project and you break even on the second project. And if you can go on and hang on to the third project, he says, you guys do really, really well. He looked at me straight in the eyes and he said to me, I want you to do three projects. And with that, he turned and walked down the hill, got back in his car and drove away. Now, what I now know was that day, with all the rain that was going on, I had clay spilling out onto the street and going into the stormwater, and I was trying to control it. And he'd actually come to give me a fine, an environmental fine, for what we were doing accidentally on this site. But instead, he folded that piece of paper up, put it in his pocket, gave me the best advice that I had ever been given in property, and walked away. And, you know, to this day, I just, you know, I wish I, wish I could find this guy, because I can't find him, I just... I just love to hug him, you know, because he just did so much for me on that one day. You know, it was amazing. In building his property portfolio, Ugarte's experience has also taught him to jump right in and try things firsthand. 
we'd built up to the seven negative geared properties um, and we had to make a decision and what we did was we did our opportunity cost on it and the opportunity cost is what what do I if we go along and we refinance the properties how much money can we get out of it or if we go along and sell the properties pay the tax um, what have we got left and and once you know what that that amount is one way or the other it's an easy decision now for us the easy decision was that I needed to get out of work as quick as I possibly could because I hated my job. And so we looked at it and we said, all of these properties, what can I do with these properties? Not much. They were just standard crappy properties. So the only thing we can do is sell those properties down, take the money and go off and reinvest. Now, we did that and we sold down and we ended up with about $369,000 in our bank account. Now, I know that that is a lot of money. Now, $369,000 for most people go, wow, I wish I had that. The problem was that by doing various projects and negative gearing and buying crappy property off marketers and all the rest of it, we lost $300,000. So we should have had $669,000, but instead we had $369,000. So um, we had to really quickly go off and find good properties that were good cash flow returns um, so that we could end up in a position of wealth um, and move forward from that. Now, and, and I'll just add quickly... When we talk about that advice that I just gave back then, my advice to people in general, especially when we're working with clients is, go off and do a project and do a project in a price point that's not going to hurt you. So when I say that is, if you want to do a subdivision, don't do what I do and go and buy do a subdivision that costs a lot of money. Go and do a subdivision in a little regional town where it might cost you a hundred grand to buy the block and do the subdivision. Now I know you will not make a lot of money out of it. I also know that if you lose money, you won't lose a lot of money out of it. But the process of subdividing a block of land at $100,000 and subdividing a block of land at $2 million is no different. The process is exactly the same. So go out, try it somewhere else, um, and come back and then try something bigger. And I also always say, if you go out and you try a strategy in any strategy in property for the first time and you come back and you break even, I'm ecstatic for you. Because what you've just learned is a full university degree that will earn you money from this day forward forever. So if you make a profit, man, you should be um, going out for dinner for a few nights just to celebrate the fact that you made a profit out of the first time that you tried a strategy. And don't be scared of trying it. Just go in and get stuck into it. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into Yagata's strategy for property investing and we took the rent from 420 to 1235 I think. And that made that a 22, I think, or $27,000 positive cash flow property in Mascot um, growing at the rate that Sydney prices were growing at. And so that was our real stem into the market to say, wow, this really works. How he implemented a method of creating affordable housing. High income real estate system, high res, which is concentrating on smaller spaces um, and in particular, um, looking at executive rental, holiday rental, short stay, um, what we call HMO, House of Multiple Occupation, or a legal way to be able to do share houses, and more importantly, rooming houses and boarding houses. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Chum, and you're listening to Property Investory. Hey, podcast listeners, are you enjoying listening to these stories and want more? Then head over to propertyinvestory.com and subscribe to receive your free property case studies that I only send exclusively via email. Just one of the many benefits of being part of this community. 
These real case studies are from experienced property investors where they share specific numbers of their portfolio, their strategies, and much more. Simply visit propertyinvestory.com to get your free case studies. Now back to the show. After completing that challenging subdivision, you got it sold it off and began looking to some positive cash flow properties, including a development in southeastern Sydney. We got to a point where we bought um, a couple of positive cash flow properties and some of them were manufactured and, and um, some of them were um, already. So they're they, they already set up um, and already cash flow positive and now were the times where you could go out and just buy it straight up. The, 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 the major one we did was um, a mascot development that we bought. It was a shop um, downstairs and it had a three-bedroom apartment upstairs and a two-bedroom behind. Now, at the time, we were looking, should we buy a PPR in the area for about $700,000? But for $655,000, I bought a um, a property that had potential for earning income. Uh, we bought it off a an older um, Greek man who was advised to sell it because he wouldn't get the pension, um, which was bad advice. And he was receiving at the time $420 a week rent. And we decided to um, buy it. Uh, we didn't want the tenants in there. They'd been there for a long time. We did some work to the property and we took the rent from 420 to 1235 I think. And that made that a 22, I think, or $27,000 positive cash flow property in mascot um, growing at the rate that Sydney prices were growing at. And so that was our real stem into the market to say, wow, this really works. So um, having the multiple and the smaller spaces started to twig something in my mind. From there, he began to investigate into some different opportunities. We followed the mining boom. We had bought mining properties. We do have exposure to mining and it was great while it was high, um, but when it's down, it's down. And so currently, we've obviously got some negative gear properties that aren't sellable, that were positive gear properties. But the smart thing that we did was, um, and at the time working with clients, we also said, if you're going to go and buy a mining property, make sure you've got three metro properties to back it up. Um, and whilst you're getting cash flow, make sure you're paying debt as down as hard as you can because while you might have debt of $400,000 today you've got cash flow of 100 grand um, that could turn around very quickly and it did so for those people that paid down their debt you know on a property that was had a mortgage of 400 is now got a mortgage of 200 you obviously don't need the same amount of cash flow to get yourself into a neutral position which is basically what we did um, but from there what had happened was that we started to investigate a number of different outcomes and so let's talk about four years ago so we're two. 2012, 13, 14, um, we were on the roll. I was going to be the biggest property developer that you'd ever seen anywhere in the world. Um, and I was so, so money hungry. I was so driven for, by the dollar. Um, and something happened. Something happened for me very quickly and it happened overnight. And it was literally um, getting out of bed one day and saying that I was very unhappy. Um, I suffer from anxiety. <laughs> Sorry, can't. I suffer from anxiety. And, you know, um, it's interesting. You know, I can speak to 800 to 1,000 people at any one point in time, and I, I could literally stand there naked and have not one level of anxiety. But when it comes to watching a dollar going a downward direction, I will stare at the ceiling for eight hours every night. And, and that anxiety, um, you know, led me to a place where I said, you know, what am I, what am I doing socially? What am I really doing? to actually benefit others because I thought the money was going to make me happy and what I didn't realize was that it doesn't make you happy. That happiness comes from a point of within yourself. 
And I have to really start working on, and I'm thankful, thankful that I've got some very beautiful people around me, um, including business and life coaches and my wife, who see, who see ahead of schedule that I'm on a, I'm on a spiral um, and I don't have to spiral anymore. So for me, that turning point was, what am, what am I doing here? You know, what, what, what is my why? What, what can I really take effect of and what, what can I make a difference in this world about? And all of a sudden, I started to look at the housing options that we were putting out on the market. So I started to investigate more and more and I started to see that after the mining crash that we still needed to get positive cash flow and we wanted the same positive cash flow, but with my anxiety, I couldn't handle the risk. I couldn't possibly um, continue to invest in things that were going to be too risky. This led him into developing a completely different investment strategy known as the high-income real estate system. I stumbled across um, you know, with a couple of other investors a strategy around what we now call the high-income real estate system, high-res, which is concentrating on smaller spaces um, and in particular um, looking at executive rental, holiday rental, short stay, um, what we call HMO, house of multiple occupation or a legal way to be able to do share houses and more importantly, rooming houses and boarding houses. Now, as soon as I say rooming houses and boarding houses, everyone in their mind automatically goes to the perception of, um, okay, you're dealing with drug dealers and criminals and bikies and um, pedophiles and, you know, the decrepit part of society. And that may have been the view in 1960s, but I can tell you that since we started building rooming houses and boarding houses for ourselves and teaching people how to invest in them, I can tell you that we've got granite bench tops, we've got self-contained units, and all we're doing is building little flat heads or studios which are high demand in, in the marketplace. Now, most people don't realize this, and, and I'll give you some statistics. Um, I work, um, um, so I'm a board member of the Future Housing Task Force. It's an invita- invitation position, um, and there's 12 of us on there, and my specialty area is small spaces, um, rooming houses and boarding houses across the country. So when it comes to the country, I am the leading expert on knowing different policies and how they work in its umbrella, so the big picture um, scenario, and then we've got um, assistance in different states. Now, um, we've been working with the Tasmanian government and I'm very, very excited to say that the Tasmanian government is an unbelievable, it's a perfect storm right now. We've got a very good government leading very well with some bureaucrats that are listening to the politicians and um, we've sat in front and there's actually a job title in Tasmania. He's called the Red Tape Coordinator. That's his job title, right? So it, it almost beats Master of the Universe. So um, his job title is to sit there and say, if you put a policy in front of me and I agree with it, I won't even go to the um, to the government employees. I will go straight to the minister. I'll show it to the minister. If the minister agrees with it, we'll put it through parliament right away and we'll get it approved within six weeks. And we've been working with the Tasmanian government now. And I, I, the reason I bring up the Tasmanian government is um, we put a policy in front of them that they probably are going to put in the next two to three months is going to be um, put into the state-based policy. In Tasmania, currently right now, on the housing waiting list, there's 3,700 people on the housing waiting list. Out of that 3,700, 60% of them are single and 20% of them are couples. So you could say that 80% of that list only require a studio and a one-bedroom apartment. And yet, the housing stock in the wait on for the public housing, um, uh, 80% of their housing stock are three, four, and five-bedroom houses. So what's happened in Australia is that we build the biggest houses in the world at 246 square metres. We have two and a half people living in every house. 
Whereas we used to have, in, nine, in 1881, we had five and a half people living in 35 square metres. In 1960, we had four, just under four people living in 85 square metres. And now we've got 246 square metres, 2.5 people living in every house. Um, and we've got 12 million empty bedrooms tonight. So affordability was the point that I said, how can I make a difference to what I do on a daily basis? Rather than going out and doing a project to make as much possible money as I could, how can I help out community and family? Ben Ugarte experienced several aha moments that forced him to see things in a different light, enabling him to see the bigger picture in terms of housing affordability. I was standing on the stage and... So these two pivotal points happened to me um, in, in single succession, again, about a month apart. And I was speaking at a homelessness conference about affordability and about housing stock. And I'm standing on stage talking about how we shouldn't be building big houses. And I left that conference and I went home to a 400 square metre, four storey home. And my, my bedroom, my bedroom alone was 100 square metres. And so I looked at Christine and I said, this is crazy, Christine, we cannot do this. Like, this, here I am, I'm incongruent with what I'm a specialist in. So we got rid of that property and we ended up buying the property that we're in now, which is two acres. And we've got an 85 square meter, two uh, bedroom, one bathroom home where six of us lived in 85 square meters as opposed to 400. And after about a couple of weeks, now I'm a plumber and builder by trade, I could have put an extra toilet in pretty quickly. But I decided not to because two weeks after moving into the place, I noticed that the family dynamics changed, that in the 400-square-metre house, we actually weren't interacting. And, and it's not that we're dysfunctional. Australia has lost its sense of community, and community comes from a sense of family. And no longer do we actually um, grow up in different houses. We've all got mini mansions next to each other. Um, you know, I remember growing up at, um, in my parents' house and East Lakes, and the house next door was a cladded home, and we were living in a spackled render home with with um, arches and bars on the window. Two completely different homes, two completely different cultures. But the girl next door, the lady next door, was my auntie Carmel, and she actually fed me every morning before I got to school. And I didn't realise until the age of eleven that the white chick next door was actually not really my blood auntie. She was actually just the lady next door. And and this, for me, was what I decided from a social change I wanted to bring back um, into the community. I wanted to bring back the social aspect of who we are as community and bring back affordability. And and the reason and the way the way we do this is, is really quite simple. Remember, we've got 12 million empty bedrooms. Um, currently, government can't afford to put housing out to the community because they haven't got any money. So they should be concentrating on people like you and I um, and your listeners that have zero to six properties as investment properties and be able to convert those four-bedroom, two-bathroom crap houses into something that's usable. Now, I know this because all we do now is high-risk strategies on creating more functional living spaces within the one home. And um, by doing that, you attract, you've got this massive funnel of people that are looking for housing. The only reason a couple rents a four-bedroom house is they don't have a choice to rent anything else. For home buyers, Yugate demonstrates how they can get into the market for $8,000. Again, in keeping with his vision to make Australian properties more affordable. Now, I can actually sell a first-time buyer one of those properties 
for about $8,000 if they've got really good income and they can get a high LVR, they could get into that property for $8,000 using the first time buyer's grant and stamp duty exemption um, and end up in the property for living there for about $100 a week um, whilst they rent out other parts of the property, which they can do as their first home. It doesn't say that you can't do that. And after living in for six months to a year, they can then move out and turn that into a positive cash flow property of about $300 to $400 as their first home. And this is what the problem is with our marketplace, is that we've got developers building four-bedroom houses and Gen Ys wanting the end product instead of working their way up. Now, we built and we lived in a small home and worked our way up to a bigger home. And you know, currently, we've actually downsized. We're now living in 72 square meters um, and, and enjoying it. And it's glorious. Today, he's excited to be able to help those in need by putting his experience in property development to good use, providing homes and new opportunities to those without as well as making the great Australian dream attainable. Currently, right now, we have um, the growest, the biggest growing rate of homelessness in this country is a 55-year-old plus woman. Now, these are the women that were told when they were younger, marry someone who's got a good job, and you'll be able to, you'll be looked after for life. They didn't tell them it's unlikely that you'll like them in 30 years' time. They've looked after a house for the last 30 years. Their children have grown up. They get to a point of financial settlement, and they have very little. And the, we have a huge amount of these uh, of this demographic renting our rooms, and they are brilliant tenants. They are the best tenants you can imagine. Um, and the, un, the the other part of the problem with a 55 year old plus woman is she gets settled in, she gets her independence back, she gets a phone call from her 70 year old parents, and they say. I don't know how to look after dad anymore. You're going to have to come and help me. And they, they really are in, in a crap sandwich, the, the 55-year-olds, and, and it's an awful place to be. But what I can say is that every morning I get up, I know that I'm making a difference and a change to that demographic. I'm making a change to 70-year-olds, and I'm making change to Gen Ys. Now, um, the reason we actually put the high-res program together was that Christine and I might be able to do 20, 30, 40 uh, properties a year, right? In the end, we wouldn't be actually making a dent in the market, which is why we did high res. We know there's a huge demand. And if we can teach other people to do exactly the same, then we can get to the point where we can actually say in Australia that the great Australian dream of buying your own home is actually within reach for every part of the generation. And that's, that's why we do what we do. If you want to contact Igate to find out more about his strategy or get involved in his high res program, you can connect with him via his website. Yeah, certainly. I mean, we've got a um, website. Like I said, we run seven different businesses and our umbrella website is called smallisthenewbig.com.au. That's smallisthenewbig.com.au. You can click on a tab there that says learn um, and that will take you to our program. You can watch a webinar. I do go around and do um, some state-based um, tools occasionally um, and so we can put you on an email list and um, we do lots of free information you know I, I'm, I'm a grand believer that people can learn so much and as long as you keep on continuing to give education um, then you're in a good place and, and for those people that want to come aboard and get a bit more information get a bit more hand holding um, you can get it through smallisthenewbig.com.au Thank you to Ian Igate our guest on this episode of Property Invest Story. If you want to hear more about his journey, then visit our website at propertyinvestory.com. Simply type in the search bar Ian Yagate and select that episode to learn more about his story. Also, if you haven't subscribed to receive your free property case studies, 
that I only send out exclusively via email, you can text me your email address to 0499881040 to subscribe. These real case studies are from experienced property investors where they share specific numbers of their portfolio, the strategies and much more. Simply text me your email address to 0499881040 to get your free case studies. Thanks for listening.